Hey fellow fraud fighters, a big welcome to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show, where we'll look to get into the mindset, thinking and learnings of the hardest working group of heroes we know, the fraud fighting professional. And on alternative shows, we'll dive into the opposite world of current or ex-fraudsters to get a real insight into what's driving them to do what they do. And ultimately, we'll be trying to best work out who's the real cat and mouse here. So welcome everyone to the Seon Cat and Mouse Show. Um, I'm delighted today uh, to bring on uh, a long-term uh, friend and uh, kind of uh, ex-work colleague uh, through the years, uh, Soren Hazu. Soren Hazu, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Jimmy. It's, uh, it's, I'm very happy to be here and thank you kindly for the invite. As you say, we've been uh, collaborating over, over the years on a number of occasions with different companies. I'm really happy to have a an opportunity to sit today with you and discuss. And your background is really interesting. You just finished up, uh, I think, coming up for two years project at Shell, where you were helping them as a fraud risk manager. Um, but then previous to that, your background is very deep. Um, it goes into from a product, a fraud, uh, and also a merchant side basis, all the way with travel companies like Travex, um, large PSPs like Ingenico, uh, and that's where we cross paths, which was a, which was a lot of fun, Soren. And then pre that, though, it goes into a mix of consultancy, high risk acquiring uh, via Credorax, and then kind of where you uh, kind of cut your teeth in the industry was uh, with uh, Avangate uh, as well. Uh, so you spent a, a long uh, and, and decent uh, tenure there back in Avangate. Maybe for the benefit of everyone, let's start. The, let's start at uh, the project you just finished up because I think when people think of Shell, uh, Soren, they don't necessarily think of man someone with that kind of CMP experience in fraud and product. How, how does that fit into the Shell uh, domain, first of all? Like, what does that mean to Shell? Because, yeah, where, where is that even applicable? I sincerely appreciate your question, Jimmy. And, and it's mainly a question that is asked by my peers as well, my friends in the industry. Uh, why why have you actually gone to a car present? Uh, and what's, what was in there for you? I would just say for the uh, for being in payments for so, so long, like uh, almost 15 years, more than 15 years now as it, and as you said moving from, from different flavored companies across the value chain uh, from PSP to acquiring to gateway to uh, yeah, managed services and also sitting in the merchant's shoes and also coupled with a bit of consultancy I felt that I had a need to learn what's on the inside in the car present world and particularly since Shell has uh, these Shell's fleet solutions the, the area um, that I uh, that my project uh, has undergone for the last two years. They hold an interesting offering for B2B solution for large fleets and, and their own, obviously their own shell card for fueling up at uh, the vast shell networks across the world. And why is that, uh, why it was interesting for me was mainly that shell operates their own acquiring and own issuing. So they control the whole value chain, what you would call, uh, what we would call a closed loop solution. Uh, so while with uh, in the traditional payments industry, Visa and Mastercard provide like an open loop branded cars, all the players in the industry can brand to their own wishes. For Shell, they control the whole value chain, and that really made it interesting for me to learn how an acquiring and an issuer function from the inside. It's been a phenomenal two years, I would say, with a steep learning curve. I was so new to uh, car present fraud and in-person in fraud, kind of learned the hard way all the lingo that is used, all the, the particularities. Uh, to, to car present fraud, but also fuel uh, as a whole. I was brought in for uh, in order uh, 
to accelerate a bit the company's move from more traditional fraud detection methods to uh, more data-driven. Uh, so in, that in simple terms is making sure that the, the numbers uh, or the absolute fraud losses that the company saw um, are, are obviously decreased. Everyone that's the top of mind of, of my managers and their their targets for, for the last two years. And also the technologies that are used to streamline the, the fraud detection process and obviously reduce losses. For Shell themselves, I guess for the listeners, were they also transitioning to, uh, I think you mentioned the fuel cards, but also I guess for B2C consumers, I can imagine, I've seen in, in the UK, uh, like the big petroleum companies trying to con- uh, encourage the consumers to all now, you can now pay at the pump, uh, right, you can pay at the pump. You can uh, all download the application on your mobile phone. Did much of your work coincide with that bigger kind of changing how you interact with your uh, petrol or gas company uh, for fueling your vehicles? For sure, but I wasn't in charge with with the actual product uh, management strategy. As you can imagine, Shell is uh, is a huge corporation with um, I know some some like like forty thousand employees worldwide, and their structure per market and per region. With, with the way which which they approach developing new products that are addressable for the B2C side as well. My role was on the B2B side, Shell Fleet Solutions, that are mainly dealing with large fleet companies uh, that are having, I don't know, hundreds of trucks in their portfolio and they're delivering goods across Europe, just to lay down an example. Or rental companies like Sixth, which have vast uh, a vast amount of uh, cars in the in the fleets, and they require an integrated card, with which they can distribute across uh, to their whole uh, drivers worldwide. You are receiving your card in Belgium, but you're able to fuel in the UK uh, and everywhere across across Europe, basically, as you would do at any shell pump. You kind of mentioned a very specific kind of case of where uh, fraud can happen. Are you able to elaborate on that? Because I think that's useful because it's it's something that I wouldn't have thought of, but. Obviously, you are starting to learn about these new trends. On the bright side, one piece of technology that's already uh, solidly implemented in, in, in Shell uh, is that almost all cards are, uh, or a large component of the B2B cards, Shell cards are EMV compliant, which means they're chip and pin. However, one of the main challenges that I've seen is uh, with other solution suppliers in the market, not necessarily with Shell, a piece of functionality called the fallback mechanism to max stripe which back to the magnetic stripe of the card you know every card has a magnetic stripe as well on the back and what happens basically fraudsters damage the chip card so that the card when inserted copied and inserted into a reader sees that the chip is detected and then reads out the magnetic stripe instead so it does no longer require it does no longer encompass the same security as as the regular chip card i've seen that movement if, if you upgrade security sites in in Belgium, for, for example, fraud levels rise in Italy, upgrade them in France, it moves to the Netherlands, um, and, and so on and so forth. Until, until even recently, all sites in the, if you consider another major market for Shell, the, the US, in general as well, uh, all sites in the US were pretty much equal in the card, card acceptance. Um, but with the EMV mandate from Visa and MasterCard, even if a percentage of them upgrade, clearly the fraud will be actually pushed to the ones that haven't. The other factor in, in, in this upgrade is, as I mentioned, a clear lack of a fallback option. It's pretty standard pra- practice when rolling of a new technology uh, to have a fallback option if things don't go work properly. In the case of EMC acceptance on fuel pumps, 
the fallback payment technology was and is still a mag magnetic stripe. Realistically, a chip should rarely fail, but from a fraudster perspective, this is a golden opportunity, particularly for stolen or, or counterf counterfeit cards. So the particular use case in Italy, where fraudsters would simply damage the chip, either physically through brute force with a hammer and paying using the fallback option. A very simple workaround. The scheme there in Italy was very well, very well organized. The fraudsters would uh, regularly operate out of their car, the car parks or rest areas in northern European fuel sites. And the security at such rest areas is often relatively low. So this is a perfect area to set up. And with European regulations on the number of hours drivers can be on the road, these areas are often populated. Another major trend that I've seen when the pandemic start, started, we saw a significant decrease in fuel car fraud. And we've asked our other fuel suppliers in Europe if they're seeing the same trend due to the restrictions of public traffic in all major European countries. And although we saw this decrease in um, in fraud, our experts actually pushed even harder for the business to, to increase chip pin penetration, clearly knowing that after the pandemic or the restrictions in free, free flow circulation would end, uh, fraud is likely to rocket again, given that uh, fraudsters are actually human too, um, and were likely blocked indoors with uh, little to no revenue sources, were arguably turning towards online fraud. As soon as the restrictions were lifted, fraud has actually gone triple-fold up in, in terms of uh, percentage. That's crazy. Um, and I, I love how uh, detailed you are in that example. And for me, the thing that struck me, Soren, was kind of what you said at the beginning, is you were coming into Shell uh, wanting to very much get into the nitty-gritty and uh, education of uh, card present uh, kind of fraud, which was uh, something something new to you. Curious, we, we, yeah, with such a deep experience of understanding the other side of the space, CNP, what was the beginning few months like when you were trying to pick up this knowledge? Did, did you have you know good mentors? Was the team very good at sharing knowledge? How did that work from a, almost like a practical level? Um, and I, I mention this because um, obviously we've got lots of listeners that are starting out in their fraud management career and they probably face the same thing, right? Is when they land in at the company, how the heck do they start amassing that level of detail that you know you shared in a couple of minutes with us? I would say the, the vast majority of information I've acquired was from my colleagues. They were deeply experienced in this type of fraud and they were having under their belts at least five, 10 years working specifically with fuel card fraud, including my manager. They were a huge source of information and learning for myself. This thing called the Shell Open University, uh, which is like LinkedIn learning uh, for, for Shell. They can actually learn every aspect of, of the business. Um, and as you've, you've, you've rightly said, I'm at least on my end, I'm highly passionate about learning the nitty gritty because I, I don't, uh, necessarily know when I will need it in the in the future to know the ins and outs of the business in order to perform my um, my activities best. Shell, my role was to actually make sure that the strategy is in place for the team to have everything at their disposal in terms of tools, analytics, and detection methods to push this to this to the next level. For the listeners out there who are just starting up, if you have that natural curiosity. Of, of learning uh, what's what's out there and being really curious about how your business operates, you're for sure will succeed in, in your line of uh, uh, expertise and experience. Look for your experts, um, cherish them, sit um, and, and do ask questions uh, all the time, bug them with questions and make sure um, 
that they actually listen uh, and provide um, their wealth of information to you in, in order for you to succeed in your in your position. Uh, friends usually ask, how did you land uh, actually in the fraud fighting world? Um, that's one, one question my mom asks every now and then. <laughs> what do you do, what do you do? Because, because there's no schools for, uh, for, for the fraud fighting world, although they should be. There are plenty online materials that you can actually read, podcasts such as these and working groups, or now online working groups, uh, that, where you can get a lot of experience from uh, different verticals and different uh, industries and different parts of the value chain. So fraud might look completely different in, in, in the shoes of a payment service provider as you do in the shoes of a merchant. Enjoy it. It's a nice ride. <laughs> You're going to say your mom asks you this, but what is it that kind of makes you excited to stay in the world of fraud fighting from your point of view? What, what is it for you? The absolute biggest reason um, is actually experiencing every day something new. It either has to do with the new fraud trend or learning that a new major ring of fraudsters were, were arrested. Um, partially or uh, or fully uh, based on on, uh, on the work that has been done by, by my team, envisioning a new piece of technology uh, or process that's able to support further and uh, and uh, being or keeping one step ahead or at least on par uh, with the fraud and criminal organizations that are out there. That's cool, and that that I think reflects you with your personal background, kind of having the deep experience on both sides of the fence, right? So I, I can see that on some sides you are helping to come up with uh, the ideation of technology to help fight fraud right at the very cutting edge, and then on the other side you are the user of that tech, and you're having to report on different business KPIs <laughs> to keep keep the business happy uh, for you know. Uh, not stopping revenue, but obviously making sure it's safe revenue. And um, I, I just wanted to drill in. You mentioned um, so soft skill curiosity. Um, I completely agree. It's something I think that uh, I've heard a few times actually on our show. That, that, that kind of you know wanting to understand and become uh, and just wanting to ask questions is really important. On the hard skill side, um, uh, also interested to hear. Um, do, do you think there's any particular hard skills that you think in this day and age make a particularly effective fraud fighter that if someone was to you know, spend some time investing in these areas, then they'll be even more effective at what they do? The role of the fraud analyst per se uh, decreased from working with large amounts of data uh, in, in, in Excel or, I don't know, business intelligence platform. I think that role is slowly transitioning to where, or slowly, very accelerately transitioning or very fastly transitioning towards uh, a more analytics uh, approach in which part of the data data crunching mounting fast uh, inf information uh, in, the, in the data sets have actually moved in the field of, of data scientists or, uh, or data analysts and they become effectively partners in the process uh, so I, I, I wouldn't say Go learn mathematics and become a data scientist uh, if, you, if you're not born for it. But definitely, if you have skills in, that, in this direction, I think that's the future of effective fraud fighting, fighting techniques. It's transiting towards um, the, a more data science role and mathematics. Something that I'm happy my, uh, my wife picked up. She started in uh, her second master's in artificial intelligence. So I'm, I was actually wondering if uh, in the nearby future, I'll, I'll be working with, uh, with her in the fraud fighting world. I'm curious to your thoughts around collaboration. So through those years, 
I think you've had, and you mentioned that, like a few uh, few things that you had um, collaborated on with the fraud fighting community. So my question is, um, do you, uh, you know how do you rate where we are today um, as fraud fighters? Do do you think we share enough information? Are we um, good at it, um, especially compared to what we can observe that fraudsters are doing um, and how they share information? How, how do you think we're doing? Oh man, I think we're way behind. Um... And uh, although there's a, a certain level of collaboration that you can observe, there are working groups, uh, as I mentioned previously, uh, there are forums, uh, or there were forums, in-person in forums before before the pandemic, um, and lots of learning opportunities and collaboration opportunities. I think the, the major um, blocker that I've seen, both in the card present world and also not card not present world, is, um, sharing meaningful information uh, but at the same time most of the uh, persons that i've engaged in the industry are relatively bound to either uh, anti-competition clauses that are very specific for fuel car suppliers uh, but also being naturally afraid of, of losing market share towards your competitors if you're actually operating in the same space uh, well we're trying as fraud fighters we're trying to educate um, our stakeholders on the inside, of course, to, uh, to pretty much turn them uh, and make them understand that we're all on the same team. Yeah, it's a learning for, for us, uh, looking uh, on the, some of the dark net, dark web forums, uh, where information is exchanged pretty much in real time of, of uh, the latest fraudable uh, areas of our business. Kind of makes me a bit sad that we haven't yet found the silver bullet for for nailing a better collaboration yeah there's no anti-competition clauses uh, on these dark net forums <laughs> yes. there's no uh, bureaucracy and uh, scared of uh, it's the opposite right it's uh, the open source philosophy i think uh, reigns supreme there so we always ask our guests at the very end in the world of professional fraud fighter like yourself uh, versus, say, the fraudster, pro-fraudster. Um, who do you think depicts the cat or the mouse uh, and why, sorry? Oh, man, I, I would like to say so much, uh, Jimmy, that we're, uh, I'm feeling like the cat in the game. Um, and most of the times, I think it's just per perception that the role is interchangeable and that uh, sometimes we're, we're the cat, sometimes we're the mouse. But I can't shake that feeling with, uh, that on most occasions are in. 80% of the cases where actually I'm I'm actually the mouse in the in the, in the game, um, and that has to do with uh, what with with the previous question when you're fighting pretty much in in a siloed environment, having access only to your tools and expertise, you're lacking your peers' experience and expertise in their fields. That means you're limited to uh, to what you know. While on the on the other end, the technology and the forums that uh, criminal organizations have access to nowadays uh, support them much faster in inventing new ways of uh, of skimming of or, or fraud and moving or perpetrating that fraud to the weakest link in the chain. So, Arne, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, really interesting hearing, uh, yeah, your learning journey in CP uh, fraud. And uh, yeah, thank you, thank you again. Thank you very much for the invitation. I was happy to be here. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's show. At Seon, our whole startup is 100% focused on helping you, the hardworking fraud manager, fight fraud with tools that are intuitive and fully complement your existing risk tech stack. 
Check out our website where you can get started on a free trial and be up and running in 30 seconds or less.